You're listening to The Daniel Glass Show, only on Drummer's Resource. This is it, right here. Uh-huh. Then you gotta add some with a little trick. Ah, ah, you'll be swinging. Uh-huh. Right. It's The Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource, offering a deeper look into Daniel's unique take on music, drumming, and life. Philosophy, motivation, musical deconstructions, and conversations with influential voices in the music industry. Hey everybody, it is Daniel Glass. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Daniel Glass Show here on Drummer's Resource. And for the second week in a row, I am, uh, you might say, guest hosting, sitting in for our dear narrator host, founder of Drummer's Resource, Nick Ruffini, who is out uh, taking parental family leave for a couple weeks, getting to know his new baby girl. So we want to wish him all the best and hope he's having an amazing time. I can't imagine he wouldn't be. Um, just want to send him huge congratulations. Uh, and what are we going to do today? Well, we're going to talk about, and yes, hold on to your horses. We're going to talk about jazz. Now, I know a lot of you are probably, uh, stomach might be tightening, your eyes may be glazing over, you might be getting ready to click right on out of this podcast and go back to watching hour after hour of gospel chop videos on YouTube. Ha ha. Well, my friends, uh, I mean, I get it. You know, jazz only makes up 2% of total music sales. And when you watch jazz drummers, they kind of seem like rarefied birds, right? They don't play loud. They don't play big. They don't necessarily grimace and make faces. Uh, They don't always play the biggest drum sets. And sometimes they're playing sort of seems like a different language, right? It's like, how do I even begin to access this? And as a result of that, I think there's this big misconception that, you know, most drummers don't learn jazz uh, or aren't interested in jazz because jazz is inherently not interesting. It's boring. It's too weird sounding. It's too different. So why would your average drummer be into it? And What I've learned over the years as an educator and also, you know, as a jazz drummer, but as a drummer who plays many, many styles of music and interacts with many different kinds of drummers, what I've learned is that it isn't that drummers aren't interested in jazz. It's just that there's a lot of confusion around jazz and there's some really big misconceptions that tend to stop people from moving forward in getting to know jazz, exploring jazz, learning jazz, adding jazz to their repertoire of styles that they play. So, you know, in today's episode, we're going to answer some key questions. And and if you're reaching for that dial, don't do it. Take a different approach. Hang out for a second, because what we're going to do is answer three key questions. What is jazz? Where does it come from? And what exactly is the job of a jazz drummer? Right. And if we can answer these questions, then maybe you won't feel so uncomfortable about jazz. It won't seem so weird. Um, And I've I've certainly talked about jazz before on this podcast. I have a few other podcasts that are somewhat related to it, but I don't know if I've ever really dived in and just dealt with these questions straight up. And once we answer these questions, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to share some very fundamental secrets that once you know them, you realize that you could become a functional jazz player in a very short period of time. It doesn't take forever. It isn't that weird. It's actually pretty darn accessible. So let's break down these questions 
one by one. I guess I'm going to combine the first two into one answer. And that those the first questions were, what is jazz and where did it come from? I think a lot of times, if you don't really understand where something comes from or, you know, how it fits into the big picture, then that makes it more mysterious, right? If you're a rock player, you like John Bonham, you like Dave Grohl, you know, and you like, uh, I don't know, Tommy Lee, you know, like, okay, this kind of makes sense. You kind of see where this comes from. Um, but with jazz, it's like this weird thing, right? And the first reason why is that as a musical style, jazz has been around for more than 100 years. Some people might say it's been around for like 120 years already. And so, you know, the jazz that we call jazz today is very different than the jazz that we call jazz in the 1920s, say, when the style, really the style was named um, and became sort of known by the name of jazz uh, in the, the late 19-teens. So that's a long time. And certainly music of every style has evolved a lot during that time. So how do we define jazz? Um, you know, a 1920s Louis Armstrong sounding version of jazz is different than a 1950s Miles Davis sound of jazz. Today, you've got a band like Snarky Puppy, and people call that jazz. And that doesn't sound anything like 1950s Miles Davis or 1920s Louis Armstrong. So let's let's break it down and let's just explain jazz, I guess. Um, and jazz is a African-American oriented style. It wasn't completely invented by African Americans, but the essence of it comes from the evolution of African Americans in the United States. Meaning that they started as slaves. Uh, their music was, you know, taken from them. Their African music, African instruments, African language, African customs, clothing, way of life. All of it was taken from them when they were brought here as slaves and they were forced to take on the um, you know, all these elements as it related to their slave masters. Um, however, you know, they, they played music on European instruments using European uh, musical rules, right? And certainly English language or the French language, depending, or Spanish language. But um, what was different is that they, African Americans or slaves and their descendants interpreted rhythmically um, this music in a different kind of way. And so as we evolve, we have the, the Civil War, the slaves are freed, they begin to integrate and be able to participate in American culture and American music. Um, a, a unique way of, of presenting this, what was European music, now is being presented in kind of a different way. So jazz sort of grows out of that. Now, there were certain elements to this music the first thing was, you know, today we tend to think of jazz, again, as I said, as very sophisticated music, as very um, erudite music, right? A lot of people say it's too complicated. I don't get what's going on. It just goes over my head. And it's kind of funny because in its earliest days, jazz was considered exactly the opposite. It, um, a lot of times, African-American musicians who pioneered this music could not perform in the play, you know, in respectable places where white musicians could perform because of the color of their skin. So they uh, had to play in places that were of low character, meaning 
bordellos, gambling houses, um, you know, in red light districts. And uh, the music evolved in these venues as a dance music. It was sort of a unique approach that had a very danceable and we might say swinging feel. So jazz music in its earliest form was very similar to what we would think of today as dance music, whether you know, whether it's pop music or hip hop music or funk music, you know, all these styles that, that, that we think of as dance musics. The other thing about jazz that's very interesting is that, and I might say it was, you know, um, well, it was it's something of a political statement. Um, and what I mean by that is that a, a major element of jazz is what we call improvisation, right? Meaning, you know, you're making up your solo on the spot. And so anytime, you know, you see a guitar player in the middle of a rock song getting out and playing a solo, well, guess what? That comes from jazz. So that tradition just eventually filtered down to rock. Um, But it was particularly important, I think, for jazz musicians to be able to improvise because improvisation equals freedom. It equals the ability to choose to play whatever you're going to play as you feel it and to be an individual, to be yourself, right? And a lot of times we set musicians uh, apart or we distinguish musicians because they are being themselves, really artists in general. What makes us love an artist is that they are uniquely themselves. And so jazz gave African-Americans, certainly a people who came from enslavement, but also who came from, you know, after slavery was over, being oppressed, being considered second-class citizens, not being able to have a lot of the freedoms that white people did. Um, the fact that they could improvise and make up the music and express themselves as individuals was an incredibly important thing. And it's a very uniquely American thing I might add as well, America is about individualism, right? We are all um, guaranteed the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are guaranteed the right to free speech, to say whatever the hell we want. So the fact that, you know, uh, African Americans were expressing this right in the music uh, is very American. And I think that's one of the things that has made jazz be so popular around the world, because a lot of other cultures don't really have this idea baked into their history. Um, you know, it's not about standing out and being an individual. It's more about being one of the crowd. And the African-American approach to it is like, you know, let it hang out. Let it all hang out. I think it's one of the things that draws not only white Americans to many styles of African-American music or African-American inspired music, but also people all over the world. And it's one of the reasons why American music often becomes the world's popular music. So this uniquely American idea of freedom, of individualism, of improvisation, of being yourself, of not being afraid to do something crazy that then expresses who you are, this is all very American and it's political. So um, that's another aspect of jazz that's interesting. And as we get into the 1920s and jazz, you know, leaves, becomes more respectable. We have prohibition and jazz 
moves out of New Orleans and other cities and starts to become popular around the country. And white bands um, start recording jazz and calling themselves jazz bands. And now it's becoming popular. And just at, around that time, the... Um, you know, the uh, uh, prohibition is passed. This is 1919. And you tell people, well, you can't drink. Well, what ended up happening, mobsters ended up, uh, the, the rise of the mafia, we could say, ended up happening because if you tell people they can't drink and you suddenly take all the alcohol off the shelves, well, you think people are going to want to stop drinking? Hell no. So uh, you have, somebody's got to make that alcohol and produce that alcohol and transport that alcohol and then serve that alcohol. And so this whole underground, um, you know, speakeasies, all that kind of stuff evolves as a means of pushing, you know, serving the public's desire for alcohol, even though it's illegal. And um, of course, that ties into the whole notion of the Roaring Twenties and jazz ties into the notion of the Roaring Twenties. Another name for the Roaring Twenties was the Jazz Age. So, you know, if you're going to serve illicit alcohol by illicit gangsters in an illicit underground club, then you better have some illicit underground music to go with it. And in in many ways, that is why jazz was so successful, because it represented forbidden fruit, as it were, African-American music, music that was uninhibited, music that went really well with alcohol. And of course, um, 1920, women got the right to vote. So women's liberation had taken a big step forward. So women were out drinking with men. I know that seems like a weird concept today, but that was kind of new. Women were expressing their freedom. So there was a lot of kind of people wanting to break away from the traditional values, express their freedom. And jazz was the perfect backdrop music for this. And by the way, I should mention that the name jazz comes from jazz, J-A-S-S, which was an African-American slang word for sex or for maybe the female anatomy or other <laughs> uh, elements involved in sex. So it was illicit. It came from, you know, people called it N-word music. Uh, it was, it, it was uh, dirty, down and dirty, I should say, uh, f- funky, uh, exciting, thrilling uh, forbidden fruit, all these kind of things. And so that's when jazz really makes makes its its big break on the national scene, we might say. And it was dance music, right? Because when you have pop music, it is dance music. Dance music and pop music are one and the same. So we might think, well, gosh, jazz is so hard to access. It wasn't at the beginning. And if you go back and listen to some any kind of jazz music from the 1920s and 30s in particular, any of it, Almost all of it has a very danceable beat. You can sing along the melodies. The melodies are not that complicated. And it's to get you moving. That is the whole name of the game with jazz. So, again, I I should point out that all of this was not what respectable people listened to. It was not uh, considered high art. It was considered low and dirty. And there was, you know, elements of the blues, of course, in there, which is also an African-American kind of invention uh, the idea of a one, four, five blues, and all these things represented, um, you know, just like maybe what rock was in the late 50s when it first came. It was considered dangerous. It was considered the devil's music. It was considered the N-word music. You might say the same thing when hip-hop showed up in the late 70s. Um, when rap showed up 
in, in, in those times. These were not respectable art forms, right? But they grabbed a new younger generation, et cetera, et cetera. So for that reason alone, you don't need you can connect with jazz is what I what I would want to say. And certainly since then, jazz has gone through a lot of evolutions, a lot of changes. Um, and interestingly, many of these had to do with the evolution of the drum set. And I've talked a lot about this. Uh, if you if you have not checked out my DVD, um, The Century Project, you might want to take a look at that because that really shows the relationship of how the drum set evolved alongside popular music. So certainly talk a lot about jazz there. And um, it, you know, uh, there's a, a history of the drum set series I did with Vic Firth, which is on YouTube. If you punch in Daniel Glass history of the drum set, you'll find 16 parts there. So um, I talk a lot about that stuff, but I, I, I want to keep it as dance music as, a, as, as where we're going today with this and and so you know why is it really that hard to learn it's not that hard to learn if you think about jazz as dance music and we know what to do when playing dance music right um so what exactly is the job of a jazz drummer that was the next question we might want to ask and let's start with a major assumption that most drummers have about what a jazz drummer does. Well, we know what a jazz drummer does, but to learn jazz. So again, most of us see drummers like Elvin Jones or Tony Williams, or maybe more modern players that are considered jazzers like Mark Juliana or, um, you know, uh, uh, Eric Harland or uh, people like that. And you see people with incredible technique playing very of dense music doing very complicated things and you think well you know i guess if they're saying that that's what jazz is um then i've got to have that kind of technique if i'm going to play jazz and so um you know we we think that we need to spend a ton of years of practicing even just to play basic jazz or that we're you know it, it just seems like a giant mountain to climb so even if you're interested in jazz it's sort of like well, there's no way I'm ever going to have that amount of time to even be able to just sit in at a jazz club or play with friends that are into jazz or, you know, any of those kind of things. So um, they just <clears throat> assume that ain't happening. Uh, and for those that do want to learn jazz or try to learn jazz or are interested in jazz, the way that jazz is taught, unfortunately, I think furthers the confusion and this assumption that the job of a jazz drummer is to play incredibly complicated stuff. And what do I mean by that? Well, when, you know, you go to learn jazz, and I'm sure some of you have had this experience, um, you go to a teacher or you take a course or look up some stuff on YouTube about it or whatever. The first thing they say is, okay, you got to go, you know, you got to play the jazz ride pattern, right? On your ride symbol. And that goes dink, dink, da dink dink to dink. Okay, so you try that, you realize that's probably not that easy to do just right off the bat. It's certainly a lot more difficult for your timekeeping hand than like in a rock situation where you're just playing straight eighth notes or straight quarter notes most of the time. Why? Because it's the notes are spaced unevenly, has this swing feel going on with it. Then, okay, you put your hi-hat on two and four. Now, when you try to put those two limbs together, 
you're you don't really know you know it's not that easy to do oftentimes there's a lot of flamming between the limbs ding 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 you know and you realize gosh that's that's not easy so just getting those two limbs together is challenging right but you're not even close yet to actually playing jazz and the next thing they say is well you probably on your bass drum you want to play four on the floor okay you're like great i can do that but now here's the rub oh no no no, no. in jazz the bass drum is pretty soft so you got to play it really really quietly now for most drummers who are raised on rock and roll well it's not easy to play quietly at all and you know uh to add that ding ding da ding jazz ride pattern a hi-hat on two and four and now play that bass drum quietly it now it's really daunting but then you're like you still got one hand free right your snare drum hand well for most people it's their left hand they said well okay you've got a now you've got to improvise with your left hand and here's a book that has 10,000 patterns and learn how to play all those patterns in your left hand and what you know so you start trying to learn those patterns and those are also played with swung eights you you know think of the the fabled ted reed pages that a lot of people start with in this environment you know just reading those figures is not easy let alone uh you know improvising based on them so then you get into a situation where you got to play a song and now the song has a different form than you're used to right normally you got verse chorus verse chorus uh you know and uh those parts are pretty simple well in jazz you've got maybe a a b a so that's a very standard form for a lot of different songs that are what we call jazz standards songs that were written you know between the 20s and the 60s say and um and people still play them today so you have to learn kind of the repertoire and what's weird about an aaba format is that the three a's are basically the same melody and you have this bridge in the middle but what a lot of people do when they're first getting to know this they don't, they're not that comfortable with feeling the aaba form go by so they play aab and then the next a they start over from the top again instead of playing it as the last a and then starting over with two more a's so you could see where this method of learning is going to be very confusing and really um you know it, it would dissuade a lot of people from playing and um when i teach jazz often the people that come to me or they come to my jazz intensive uh my jazz intensives i i did so you know i did a jazz intensive in uh here in new york for four years and then uh i'm this october of 2022 we'll be having our second annual jazz intensive in europe and we people come from all over the world and all over europe uh to study i bring my band with me from new york the guys that i just released uh, a new seed well not a cd but a new album with you could say they still call them albums because it's an album music we just released a new album i've been talking a lot about it on my social media and i'm loving the response i'm getting on it anyway i bring my own trio from new york with me and everybody gets to play with them but a lot of the confusion that we have to unwind is this sort of state of affairs people have tried to learn jazz they've they've you know tried to to deal with it but there's too much conflicting information too much confusion so their jazz groove doesn't sound good right it doesn't it doesn't move the way when you listen to like a Frank Sinatra track, it doesn't have that beautiful groove to it. 
Evansnare tune-up kit provides everything you need to maintain the most essential piece of your drum set. This recently launched kit comes with either UV1 or Caftone heads as the centerpiece, along with an Evans branded microfiber cloth, a drum key, lug lube, hardware polish, Barney's Beats branded Promark Rebound 5A drumsticks, a snare side 300 drum head, and a two-pack sampler of the new Evans EQ pods. It's everything you need by the drum. The UV kit is ideal for rock, metal, and funk, providing sonic versatility and long-lasting durability. While the Caftone kit is ideal for jazz, providing a classic, warm, full, rich tone. Evans Drumheads, the most technologically advanced drumheads on earth. Are you ready for your first kit? Or are you a teacher with beginning drum students? The all-new Mapex Venus Series Complete Drum Kit presents an all-inclusive setup for the first-time player ready to start that drummer for life adventure. Mapex is dedicating to produce exactly what drummers need to succeed at all levels, and Venus starts the young and hungry player with a five-piece shell pack complete with a matching snare drum and outfitted with a complete set of stands and pedals, cymbals, and a drummer's throne, and even their first pair of drumsticks, all at an affordable price. Contact your favorite Mapex retailer to find out more. With Mapex Venus Series, you can start here and arrive anywhere on your adventure to become a drummer for life. So what I said at the beginning of this podcast is that, you know, we're going to answer some key questions. And I said, I'm going to address those questions and share some secrets that once you know, you can actually become a functional jazz player in a very short period of time. So let's jump into that right now. And what is the secret to learning jazz? So by way of a couple of quotes, I'm going to start by answering that question. And the first quote uh, I want to give you is from one of the greatest of all time, not a musician, but in the sport of basketball. And that would be Michael Jordan, the great Chicago Bulls basketball player. And what Michael Jordan said is, get the fundamentals down and the level of everything you do will rise. Okay, so to become better, you got to go back to the fundamentals. Now, a different quote from a different kind of a person. This is uh, a quote from the great computer scientist and big picture thinker, a guy named Randy Pouch, Pouch. I'm not exactly sure how he pronounced his last name, P-A-U-S-C-H. And he said, you've got to get the fundamentals down because otherwise the fancy stuff is not going to work. So when I teach jazz and what we do at my jazz intensive is we strip away everything down to the basic fundamentals and we remember what the job of a jazz drummer was at the beginning of jazz because quite frankly that job hasn't changed all that much and the job of that drummer was to make people dance to make people dance now how do you do that playing jazz uh well you know we need to simplify all of these different elements the role of the limbs and rebuild and focus on what actually is important. So I'm going to kind of go through step by step the way that I show 
show you how to learn jazz because one of the claims I make on my jazz intensive is basically in five days I'm going to teach you to be a functional jazz drummer or at least give you the tools so you can get there in a relatively short period of time and again this goes against that assumption that uh that you know that it takes years and years to be able to um you know to to become a functional literate and uh, ja you know jazz drummer that actually can get on a bandstand and and make music so what do i mean by how i'm going to do this well let's let's go through this pathway and the first thing i do is that we literally go back to pulse and i'm always talking about pulse but the first day the first session of the first day i should say we get into what i call the throw up exercise and it has a weird name throw up i've talked about this in some of my other podcasts and I, I get into a lot more detail in the jazz intensive and, and in some of these other podcasts. But the idea here is that what, what we learn what I call the American pulse. Uh, those of you who have seen uh, the Drumeo um, live lesson that I did a few years ago, I talk a lot about this idea of the American pulse. And th this idea is something really that came up during this early jazz period. Um, was really solidified during the swing era and you can find it then and by the way the swing era was like the big band era the 1930s and 40s and all the styles that came after that early rhythm and blues bebop uh rock and roll funk and hip-hop today all of those styles still utilize this american pulse and the american pulse has two elements the first is that it has forward momentum right Remember that jazz, initially, if you go even back back to ragtime before it started and back before that, what it evolved out of was marching music, military music, um, you know, marching bands, essentially. And the idea of a marching band is that it, the music is designed to get soldiers to move down a field. So jazz had this, maintained this concept of a marching band, um, and forward momentum and that's what made people dance instead of getting soldiers to dance or getting soldiers to march now that pulse was transferred into getting people to dance but african americans contributed another element and that is that they they got the music they made the music they gave it a characteristic where it felt laid back so this trippy idea of getting music to have forward momentum and also having it feel laid back is the key to just not only jazz but just about every other style of uh american music and it's this this interplay of forward momentum and being laid back that is one of the reasons why all those styles of music that i that i've been that i mentioned not just jazz but rock and blues and funk and and hip-hop why they all are so popular and why they're so uniquely american and why people around the rest of the world are drawn to them and i also have like a six-part series on groove that i put out last year as a predecessor to my online course finding your golden groove i talk a lot about these concepts and these concepts may seem weird why do i and drummer in 2022 need to know about this stuff trust me if you want to be employable if you want to make it as a professional if you just want people to play with you if you want to play with better people 
understanding about pulse and how you can create pulse on a very simple focus level, whatever style you play, is going to is going to get you there. It is going to make you more employable as a drummer. So what we do is we strip everything away at the jazz intensive and the first class. We talk about the history of pulse and we play, we learn how to play the throw up exercise. And by throw up, you know, you might say, well, why did you call the exercise throw up? That's gross. The reason I called it throw up is because there are two elements to it. Throw, generating downward force, thereby giving the music forward momentum, and then up, which is learning how to get out of the way and allow that stick to rebound and come back up in a very particular kind of way that then leads you to the next down. So the throw and the up, each one of those, both pieces, I should say, are encompassed in a single motion. And it may sound simple. We're just there playing notes, pulse notes, whether they're quarter notes or eighth notes or whatever, we're playing along with music. But when you try to do this, the way I teach, you realize it's not so simple. You realize that, okay, most drummers are pretty good at throwing the stick down, but the up part is a lot harder to access. And what you realize is that most drummers micromanage what they're doing. In other words, they want to, you know, be in charge of throwing the stick down and be in charge of bringing it back up. And what ends up happening as a result of that is you, in trying to micromanage everything, you end up overworking and doing too much. And that's why the jazz groove you create doesn't have this nice, easy flow because you're not allowing gravity, the weight of the limbs, the bounciness, the rebound of the stick, all of these things to play into it. So we get much more into the details in the jazz intensive in how to generate that basic pulse. And the idea is that, and I tell all my students this because the throw up exercise, whatever kind of a drummer you are, whatever it is, wherever progression you're at, you could be a total beginner, you could be very, very advanced. Most people have not thought about these concepts. So we dig into these concepts And what I tell my students is, this exercise is probably the most important exercise I can show you out of everything that we do. Uh, Because once you understand how to feel the pulse and how to generate the pulse, you'll see that (laughs) you will be connecting, that that's your job as a drummer. You will be connecting with your fellow musicians. You'll be connecting with your audience. Audiences are looking for this pulse. And they know when they hear it. They may not be able to articulate what it is. Oh, he's providing forward momentum, but it's also laid back. No, but they will lock into it. You don't need to say anything. If you can create this pulse, all of a sudden people are going to understand what you're doing because they all grow up listening to these different styles of music. And so they're expecting to feel from you what it is that that they feel when they listen to, to, to these styles of music. And certainly that is the case in jazz. So if I can get you giving your pulse forward momentum and also feeling laid back in the style of the jazz masters, you will be tapped in to doing your job as a jazz drummer. That's it. I always tell my students, if you if you just went to a jam session and you had this pulse down, say playing quarter notes along with the bass players doing a walking bass line, right? That if all you did was get up and play quarter notes on a ride cymbal, nothing else, when you sat in at a jam session, the, the musicians there would be like, yeah, man, awesome, you're swinging. When are you coming back? Okay? 
As opposed to that, on the other side of the coin, you could have spent years and years working on all your Elvin Jones chops and your Ted Reed and your Jim Chapin and your John Riley licks and everything. If you don't have that pulse going, or if that pulse kind of comes in and goes out, or it's constantly interrupted every time you try to do chop number 47 or whatever, nobody's going to ask you to come back. And this is what drummers just don't understand, is that fundamentals, fundamentals, pulse, just play quarter notes, in the case of jazz, and dig into it in such a deep way that it is part of who you are. Okay, it's part of who you are. And that does that takes some time, you know. We can learn to go dink, dink, da dink, and then put the hi-hat here and then play some pattern in the left hand and sort of get the bass drum going. It doesn't mean we're making music, right? The ability to have independence is just step one. Doing it is not making music. Okay, so we get into this throw-up exercise deep and we take some time and people really begin to feel and understand. I walk around the room, I move limbs around, I'm throwing, you know, the whole time at this jazz intensive, I'm throwing your arms and legs around, lifting you up, dropping you, um, you know, as a, a, as a way to get you to feel things. Playing the drums is about movement. It's about motion. I have a thing that I call the motion-based system when I teach, and it's about learning how to move and to to choreograph your limbs in a way that you feel them as a series of movements, not as a bunch of patterns, okay? Patterns comes later. It's about feeling things move in a way that comes out of history. So you can create a groove and a pulse and a feeling the way that people are understanding it, the way that they uh, absorb music. Okay, I hope this makes sense because I, I could go on and on about this all day. So as we then move through this, I'm also each day giving you a lecture about the evolution of the drum set and the evolution of music, jazz music, and how those two things interact. How did, say, ragtime music evolve, which was late 1890s into the early 1900s? How did that evolve into what would be called jazz? And what parts of the drum set were there? You know, when did the hi-hat show up? When did the ride cymbal show up? When did tom-toms as we know them show up? When did the bass drum go in jazz go from being a 28-inch marching instrument down to an 18-inch that we associate with today? When did all those things happen? So we try to go through and clear out the cobwebs and the confusion. And we each day, there's a lecture. And I use PowerPoint, I use video, I use photos, I talk about some of the key actors so that you really begin to understand how jazz evolved and you can kind of put things in order and have some clarity, right? At the same time as we do a lecture and we talk about the evolution of the music, we also, as I said, get into the evolution of the drum set itself. So at the beginning, the earliest jazz drum sets were literally just parts of a marching drum section that were thrown together so one person could play them. So bass drum, snare drum, and maybe one mounted cymbal that was like a Chinese cymbal that was hanging, you know, uh, with a metal loop that was kind of hanging from a, a hook that was that was hovering over the bass drum. And that was it. You know, maybe some wood blocks or cowbells, 
Um, these all came from different traditions, different immigrants, African-American, European-American mixing together. Um, but part of the reason why those earlier styles sounded the way they did is because they didn't have a hi-hat yet. Hi-hat didn't show up till 1930-31. Jazz had already been around for at least 10-15 years as a style. Uh, the ride symbol didn't show up until the early 1940s. Uh, jazz had already been around for a couple, few decades at that point. Um, so, the you know, once you begin to understand these things, you begin to say, oh, okay, I get it. So we start with just a pad, and then we begin to add the hi-hat, and we add the bass drum. We begin to understand, well, what was going on with the feet? You know, when we learn jazz, as I said earlier, you may learn, uh, you know, yes, you're supposed to play the hi-hat on two and four with your, your hi-hat foot. Okay, we get that, but why? No one ever tells us why. Even worse, nobody tells us how. They just say, do it. They don't give you any game plan. They don't give you any structure. So this is what I do. And I talk about why the hi-hat is played on two and four, where that comes from. And then I show you the technique of how to replicate that with your, most people, their left foot or their, yeah, their left foot on, the, on that pedal so that the ride and the hi-hat do lock up. Right, you've had that experience of trying to play the ride symbol on the hi hat, and they just won't lock up. You don't know how to get them to lock up, so they need to be like an old married couple, so together, so bound together, so effortlessly together that they work as a team. That they don't even know how to not work as a team. When I teach you the ride symbol on the hi hat, you're not going to know how to get them to not be together. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? They cannot come apart. I mean, of course, eventually your skill set will be where well, you could make them come apart, but basic jazz timekeeping, they have to be as if they're one thing, right? We get into how you feather that bass drum. Why did why did drummers do that in the first place? What was going on when the you know the bass drum pedal was invented? You know, so I've I've unwound all these things, I've reverse engineered them, I've looked at the history very, very deeply. And the point is to give you some context, not just you're supposed to play this on all four beats, and then you're supposed to play it quietly. Well, why? And then how again? Most drummers today learn how to play bass drum heel up, and they don't, you know, they don't even know how to play heel down. But you have to understand that heel up playing really didn't show up until the rock era and not even until the 1960s when amplification, you know, when amps got bigger and bands were playing in bigger venues and you needed more volume there was no such thing as heel up technique every drummer played heel down prior to say the mid mid and late 60s it just didn't happen so you need to know how to play heel down and you need to know how to play softly heel down well guess what once you know why then you can show how and and i will you know what we do in the jazz intensive is we get we get you doing that stuff quickly, efficiently, with great understanding. As I talk about in my course, Finding Your Golden Groove, a lot of the exercises that I show in that course are shown without sticks or pedals at all because it's about motion, getting you to feel motions without a stick in your hand, right? Because as soon as we pick up a stick, we've got, you know, tons of, uh, I don't want to say bad habits, but, but we have muscle memory. And we're used to doing things a certain way. So it's harder to feel what I want you to feel if you're holding a stick or you're on a pedal. 
you just put your feet on the floor, you use your hands, uh, or you make different motions uh, without sticks or pedals, now you can begin to feel immediately and quickly what should be happening. And you've learned what is supposed to be happening, so you can combine the what's supposed to be happening with this motion that I've given you. Oh, now it makes sense. You have direction in your jazz playing, right? And then we get the three limbs operational first so that you can actually create a jazz groove that sounds like what a jazz groove is supposed to sound like. Remember, most of us start out in the 21st century. I mean, I started in the 1970s, but I was reared on rock. Right? Remember we said 2% of people listen to jazz. I didn't start listening to jazz when I began. Of course, I got into it, as do many. But most people come from a rock perspective. And what is the important elements in a rock drum situation? Kick and snare. Those are our melodies, right? Doom, da, doom, doom, da, ka-doom, doom, da, ka-doom, da, ka Or whatever. Those are the melodies we learn to sing. We don't sing the hi-hat pattern because it's just chit, 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 right? So... What happens is when a rocker learns to play jazz, they transfer that idea. And so they're thinking about right? They're singing those ideas as they're learning them. And so they're ding ding da ding or ding ding ching da ding, you know, the ride and the hi-hat kind of get forgotten about. They're not very important. And we're all about kick and snare comping patterns or melodic patterns. Well, guess what? Those in jazz are not the dominant uh, elements. They are supportive elements. So even though the jazz ride pattern and the hi-hat are, uh, uh, you might say they're ostinatos, they're consistent patterns, they are the leaders. They are the leaders. They can't be forgotten about. They are the thing that keeps, keeps it all together. And what's happening underneath with the kick and snare has to be quieter. So again, we take a look at why that is. And then we talk about how to create that, right? We even look, we look at brushes. A lot, again, there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about the brushes. And we look at the traditional grip. We spend a little time. Most drummers today don't learn the traditional grip, but a lot of jazz players play traditional. And that's part of this mystery of jazz, right? Well, I mean, they're playing traditional. Why do I want to go learn a whole new grip? What's the point of that? Why do most jazz drummers play traditional? So we get into that. And the understanding, again, that prior to the, really the Beatles, the emergence of the Beatles in 1964, every drummer learned traditional grip. It wasn't traditional and matched grip. It was simply what you did in your left hand. There really was very little use for matched grip unless, say, you were playing a drum solo on the tom-toms so or you wanted to play loud. Otherwise, this was how you held your sticks. And I did a... Uh, an entire podcast called In Defense of Traditional Grip. And I encourage you to go put that in to the search window or go to uh, my website to the podcast page there. Check that out because I really, it drives me insane when people say that there's no use for traditional grip. It's, it's not, it has no purpose. You can't move around the drum set with it, blah, 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 blah. Don't get me started. Anyway, don't want to get too far afield. But we talk about the traditional grip because, and and again, I share you how it's not hard to learn traditional grip if you understand what you should be doing and that you can play rock uh, using traditional grip. It's by all means totally possible. You can hit hard. You can easily move around the drum set, but it's about an awareness, understanding, and breaking things back down to the fundamentals.
So this is what we do in the jazz intensive. And then of course, you get to put all this into practice every day because I'm bringing my jazz trio with me from New York. They are part of the program. And every day we have a several hour chunk, which is critique time. And you get up and you play and bring these things into the practical sphere. And you play with top New York musicians. And the three of us, me, my guitar player, my bass player, we all offer critique because it's important that drummers understand that they are part of a band, that they have responsibilities, not just to playing a good groove, but also to interacting with the other musicians. So it really is like an ensemble class and you play every day with them. And at the end, the last night, we get gussied up, we have a catered dinner and we, we, the students have a concert. And the place that we're at in Germany is this wonderful drum school called the Groovekist, which means groove box in German. And the, in addition to being a drum school, it's also a full-on recording studio. So um, in the concert, you get a videotape and you have a professional audio recording of you with the New York band. You will be amazed at the level that people go up between day number one and day number four. It is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And I'm proud of this program because I've figured out a way to give you those skills in four days. And there's a lot. We get deep. I don't, you know, I'm a bit of a drill sergeant, but that's why it's called a jazz intensive. (laughs) We're not fooling around. At the same time, we have a blast. Everybody bonds as a community. It's an incredibly supportive environment. Don't worry, I don't bite. Um, but you know, I want you to walk out of those four days really being grounded in what your job is as a jazz drummer. So I think that might be a good place to stop. If you're interested in learning more about the jazz intensive, again, um, I know I'm going to do something I'm not supposed to do, which is I'm not supposed to date these podcasts, but I'm going to right now it's August and the the intensive is in October. So we're still about two and a half, three months out. Um, so there's still plenty of time to plan your trip and figure, figure it all out uh, and come join us in Usthofen, Germany, which is just slightly south of Frankfurt. So you can come by train, come by plane into Frankfurt, easy to get to, to us. You can drive if you're in Europe. Um, and uh, the dates are October 13 through 17. 2022. If you uh, are interested, go to my website. There is a tab uh, called clinics and intensives, I believe. And just go down, you'll find the tab for the 2022 jazz intensive, European jazz intensive. Go go there. There's everything is laid out. There's a one sheet that has all the details about lodging and everything. There's a uh, um, an itinerary, a day by day itinerary. Uh, There's a video so you can see what it all looks like. And um, there's a lot of additional videos and other things you can watch that hopefully will help to expound on my teaching philosophy. But I really, really believe that it is possible to teach anyone jazz if they're interested, not just how to make your arms and legs play this and that pattern, but to really be able to learn jazz in literally in four days. And it may not, it may mean in four days, you're not going to become Elvin Jones or Tony Williams, but you're going to have the basis 
and you're going to understand what to do when you get up on a bandstand and play with other musicians so you can start getting out there and bringing making jazz a part of your life as a drummer in four days so that's my pitch and when i say uh when i say is jazz really that hard well no the answer is a resounding no jazz is not really that hard you just need to understand about the fundamentals and understand where it comes from and what your job is and how you can do that job based on the historical evolution of jazz drummers it ain't different than any other musical style and we could do it in four days all right so i want to thank nick for having me as his guest host uh i will continue to keep daniel glass shows coming on the drummers resource podcast but i might not have them as regular as as regularly as i as i used to but there are a lot of other daniel glass show episodes so if you want to find all my episodes in one place you can go to the podcast tab danielglass.com forward slash podcast and you can check out some more a lot of them are about jazz and the throw-up exercise and um, you know other kinds of things that that are tangentially related to this so i appreciate you i hope to see you in germany in october and if you have any questions about any of this material uh, feel free to get in touch with me you can always get to me through my website danielglass.com have a great swinging day and we will see you soon drummer's resource is produced by revoice media executive producer nick ruffini that's me edited by justin thomas video editing by tomas shannon and graphic design by katherine wade for more music and entertainment podcasts be sure to check out revoicemedia.com Thank you.